We're going to begin in verse 27. Mark 8, verse 27. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, it's like we saw in the video, whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. But he said unto them, but whom say you that I am? And Peter answered and said unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him, literally takes him aside, And begins, if you can imagine, to rebuke Jesus. But when Jesus had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not or mind not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Father, as we come to your word this morning, I pray that the Spirit of God will speak through the word of God and will do in hearts what man cannot do. We pray that the Spirit of God would draw people to faith in Christ today through the Spirit of God who have never put their faith and trust in Him and turned in repentance to Him. And we pray for all of us, God, like the disciples, that we would renew commitments in our hearts of who You are and not only as our Savior and Lord, Uh, not only as Savior and Christ and Messiah, but also as Lord of our life, that we would allow you to rule and to reign in our life. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us individually today through your word. We ask all this in Christ's precious name. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to the text today, it really is the turning point. This is kind of the, the turning point in the entire gospel of Mark. In other words, everything... So far, leading up to this moment, has, has been leading up to this very statement. And everything after this will flow from this statement. This is the climax of the gospel. And I'm going to, to ask you, if you would, to take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 16. It's, it's the parallel passage to this. It's Matthew's account, and we're going to be looking at some of the details that Matthew gives that Mark does not give. All of us in here have either said or someone has said to us at one time or another, I have good news and I have bad news. Which one do you want first? Well, Jesus in this text, he gives us the ultimate good news and bad news experience. Jesus delivers to Peter and the disciples some awesome news, some great news, but then he delivers at least what, in, what is in their mind some very bad news. There's still not complete clarity in the minds of the disciples and their hearts. They're They're not certain of some things. They're certain, as we see here in the text of his person, they are declaring, you are the Christ. But they're not certain of the plan. They affirm the person, you are the Messiah, but they deny the plan. What's that plan? That the Messiah must go to the cross. They deny that. I want us to just look at four things this morning from the text as we go through it. And the first thing that we see is this, a powerful confession. 
We see this in verses 27 through 30. Again, for two and a half years, the disciples have have spent 24 hours a day uh, with Jesus Christ. Every boat ride, every village is a classroom where he is teaching them, where they are growing. And now it's time for the final exam. It's time for the questions. It's all been leading up to this point. Now, let me ask you, disciples, two questions. That's my kind of test, right? Two questions. Number one question, who do people say that I am? What's the word on the street, so to speak? Who are people out there saying that I am? And they began to discuss the different responses that they have heard from the crowds of people. Some had said, and probably the majority had said, that they believe this is John the Baptist, that John the Baptist has come back from the dead. In fact, you remember that Herod kind of felt this way about Jesus, that John the Baptist had come back to to haunt him. Some have speculated that it is Elijah, because Malachi 3.4 says that Elijah will come back to the earth just before the Messiah's arrival. And And of course, according to 2 Kings, Elijah never died, but rather he was taken in a whirlwind to heaven. And so Matthew's account mentions specifically Jeremiah and perhaps some of the other prophets. This is what people were saying. So from those out on the street, all of those that the disciples had heard and had had heard discussing Jesus, all except for the, the Pharisees who thought that he was from Satan himself, They all kind of came to this conclusion, and this was their conclusion. He is from God, but he is not God. He is from God. He is a good man. He is a prophet of God. He is from God, but he is not our Messiah. Why? Because they had a highly developed messianic concept of what their Messiah was going to look like that included a political power, that included military power, uh, someone who would overthrow Rome, someone who would destroy all of Israel's enemies, someone who would bring blessedness and prosperity and permanent peace to Israel, a Messiah that elevates Israel to be the greatest nation on the face of the earth, a Messiah that reigns in Israel and dominates the world. And this was their mindset. The the vast majority couldn't get to the point where they saw Jesus as the Messiah because he didn't fit that. He wasn't the military leader. He wasn't a conqueror. He wasn't a destroyer of armies. He didn't look like a king. He didn't, in their mind, act like a king. So the question, the first question, who do others say that I am? What are other people saying? But then notice, secondly, the second question, who do you say that I am, verse 29? And let me just say this morning, as I have entitled the message, this is life's most important question. Listen, church, this is the most important question that you or I or anyone else will ever answer. Everyone, let me say this, everyone in this room Everyone that has ever been born onto this planet must answer this question. There are no exemptions. To say that you choose not to answer it and to be neutral is to answer it in a negative way. 
Everyone has to answer it. Common people have to answer it. Philosophers have to answer it. Uh, Liberal theologians have to answer this question. Muslims have to answer it. Jews have to answer it. We all have to answer this question. No one can escape it. And it is the weightiest question of all. Because depending on how you answer this question and how I answer this question, listen, how we answer this question determines our eternal destiny. We will either spend an eternity apart from God, our creator, in a place called hell, in eternal damnation and punishment, if we answer this question wrong, or if we answer it correctly, it means eternal joy in heaven with our Creator who is our Father. And the Gospels were written for this purpose. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the final Gospel, uh, John, John concludes his Gospel by saying in John 20, verse 31, but these things are written, why? That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And notice, and that believing, you might have eternal life through his name. Here is the, the powerful confession. Peter, on behalf of the disciples, as their spokesperson, he gives their answer, verse number 29, and thank God he gives the right answer. Thou art the Christ. Matthew records a more detailed answer in Matthew 16 and verse 16. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And this is the first time that Christ is mentioned since the first verse of this gospel when Jesus is introduced by Mark. This is the first time. It means Christos. It means anointed. He is God's promised prophet, priest, and king. In other words, what is Peter declaring? We have come to the conclusion. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. And up until this point, they had mostly believed. They had, they had mostly believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but this is their final declaration. John the Baptist had proclaimed him to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He proclaimed him to be the Messiah, and they accepted that. Andrew proclaimed him to be the Messiah. Nathaniel uh, called him Son of God and King of Israel. From the outset, they believed that, but as time went on, they struggled with it, not because of lack of evidence. They struggled with it because there were parts of that that did not fit uh, the, the, the man-made Judaism that had become the main religion of the day. Where is the conquest? Where's the national independence? Where's the national freedom? Where's the overthrow of Rome? This, this Jesus is so meek. He is so, so lowly, so humble, so submissive. He even pays taxes to Rome. I mean, this could not be the Messiah. He did not fit their mindset. And even John the Baptist, right? His own cousin, the one who proclaimed him to be the Messiah, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. If you remember, even when John the Baptist was in prison about to give his life, he sends one of his disciples to ask Jesus, are you truly the Messiah or should we seek for another? And this is their final declaration. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. 
And we know that this is a monumental statement, that this is huge, because Matthew records for us something that Mark doesn't. He, it records for us Jesus' response to Peter's statement. So I want you to take your Bible, look at Matthew chapter 16, or I believe it will be on the, the screen. But we see in verse number 17 through 19, Jesus' response. It says, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We see here not only the powerful confession of Peter and the disciples, but the prestigious commendation of Jesus to the disciples. Jesus makes it clear that coming to this conclusion, listen, it is a divine act of God. Flesh and blood, he says, hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Paul would later write this in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost or by the Holy Spirit. No one is fully convinced unless God gives him full understanding. John 6, 44, no man can come unto me except the Father which hath sent him. Draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. If you're here this morning and the Spirit of God is working in your heart and he is confirming in your heart that indeed Jesus is the Son of God and you need to put your faith and trust in that, faith and trust in him, let me say this morning, if he is drawing you, please do not reject that. As we mentioned last week, he will not always, he will not always strive with men. In all four of the gospel accounts, Peter is clearly, he's the leading apostle. He remains so through Acts chapter 10. Jesus is the cornerstone and rock of the church. And what he's saying here is, even though Jesus is the cornerstone, even though Jesus is the rock, it is Peter and the apostles that God will use in a great way to see the church established. Peter becomes the chief preacher, the leader, the worker of miracles in the early church. And the foundation of the church is the revelation of God given through his apostles. And the Lord of the church, Jesus Christ, is the cornerstone of that foundation. This is a, a commendation not only to Peter, but to all the the apostles, who Jesus will soon commission them to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. When he rises from the grave, when he ascends into heaven, he is going to hand the baton, the gospel baton, to these men, and he commends them for their answer. And then I want you to notice thirdly this morning the the prophecy of things coming. In verse number 30, the good news For the disciples, in their mind, the good news ends, and now they're faced with the quote-unquote bad news. This is, again, where they run into a snag in their belief. They do not like this plan at all. They proclaim his person, but they don't like his plan. Have you ever not liked the plan that God had laid out? Mark 8.31 Look at it again. 
and he began to teach them. I would encourage you to, to mark that. He began to teach them. What did he teach them? That the Son of Man must suffer many things. And look, look here for just a minute. He's going to have to drive this into their hearts because they do not accept it. A Messiah on the cross does not, does not fit their image. And so he begins to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And I'm not even sure they heard this last part and after three days to rise again. What a blow. The last thing that they would expect on the heels of of such a great moment of revelation and clarity was a death announcement that he was going to die. And from here to the cross, you will see this phrase time and time again as we continue to go through this gospel that he begins to teach them. And then it's followed by a teaching on his upcoming death. Mark 9, 31, the next chapter. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, here it is again, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. The next chapter, Mark chapter 10 and verse 33, he is saying, behold, we go up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. How could the Messiah of God, how could the Redeemer of Israel, the conqueror of all of God's enemies, how could he suffer on a cross? How could he be mocked? How could he be spat upon and scourged and killed? What is the point of all of this? Aren't you glad that He tells us the point of all of it. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered to. He did not come to be pampered, but he came to minister. And notice this, to give, say it with me, to give his life a ransom for many. That is why Jesus came. And this is what he must get into the hearts and minds of the disciples They confess him as Christ, but they are really struggling with this cross plan. Suffer many things. The Messiah, betrayal, arrest, denial, abandonment, injustice, prison, mockery, beatings, crucifixion. But when you think about it, how bad have they had to be brainwashed? By the man-made religion that they have forgotten, Brother Johnny, Isaiah 53. How have they forgotten that the Messiah would die? The prophecy, Isaiah 53. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed this is why he came to die and the part that they were missing and after three days rise again he will be 
conqueror of the grave. So listen, they perceived it as bad news. No, the Messiah cannot die on a cross. But listen, the perceived bad news was really the greatest news of all. Because he wasn't just going to be killed, he was going to be killed for them. He wasn't just going to die on the cross. He was going to die for their sins. He was going to die in their place. The greatest news of all, church, listen, is the gospel. And that is that Jesus, God's son, left heaven, came to this earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again, victorious over the grave, so that you and I can have eternal life through him. The greatest news of all, what they perceived was the bad news, was the greatest news of all. Matthew's account, Matthew says in Matthew 16, 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show to his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. One of my favorite scriptures in all of the word of God is found in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, and I quote it a lot, for he hath made him, speaking of God, for he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him, in Jesus Christ. He gives us his righteousness and he died for our sin. The greatest news of all. And then lastly, and we're done. Not only the powerful confession and the commendation and the prophecy of things to come, but lastly, we see a personal correction. As quickly as Peter is commended, he is corrected, isn't he? Mark 8, verse 32 and 33, he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Peter is maybe overconfident, maybe what Jesus just said to him has gone to his head, but he's become really drunk with privilege. He has become very very brash. And Matthew records that Peter said in chapter 16, verse 22, Peter's response is this, be it far from thee. In other words, this is not going to happen to you. He's not asking questions. He's making statements. He's really taking over the conversation. And let me just say this morning, it's a very bad idea for Christians to try to play God. It's a very bad idea for us to try to tell somebody, no, you don't need to do this or no, you don't need to to do that when it's clear that God is teaching them and leading them to do something. Because when you put yourself in the place of God, you end up putting yourself in the place of Satan. Peter didn't want a cross. He wanted all the glory without a cross. And then James and John, do you remember them? They come with their mama. They bring their mama with them. Now, when this kingdom thing happens, we want special seats, one on the right hand, one on the left. It was all about glory, glory without suffering. 
And you know what Jesus says to them? It's not about elevation and glory and power and prosperity. Jesus literally tells them, you are an offense to me, according to to Matthew. You are a baited trap used by Satan. And if you're trying to dissuade me from the cross, you're on Satan's side, not God's side. Get thee behind me. Because I came to die on that cross. I came for that purpose. I love how MacArthur puts it. Peter and the others were caught in the narrowness of the present and they failed to grasp the echoes of the past prophets and the future glories of the resurrection. You see, God's way is glory, blessing, and power. It is that in the kingdom. But the way there is through suffering. Jesus had to suffer on the cross. By the way, he has called you and I to be ready and willing to suffer for our faith in him. Like a lot of us, Peter's a slow learner. But he does get this. He really does finally understand it because in his epistle later on he will write in 1 Peter chapter 2 to a group of Christians who are suffering for their faith who were literally scattered all over the place, not because the economy was better somewhere else so they sold and relocated. No, because they were literally being run out of their houses because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And they're, persecu- they're, they're scattered all over the place. And Peter writes to them and says this in, in chapter 2, verse 21, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. This is the path to glory and the model is Jesus. And he says a few verses over in verse 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. And then he writes in chapter four, verse 12, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice in as much as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy chapter 5 and verse 10 but the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after that ye have what suffered a while make you perfect establish strengthen settle you you say I thought you said that God didn't promise health wealth and prosperity no I didn't say that he did promise it just not in this life it's, it's for the life to come. This life, he said, you're going to go through suffering. You're going to go through difficulties. You're going to go through pain. You're going to go through sickness. You see, the good news, church, this morning is that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing in him, you can have eternal life. The bad news is, as far as the the disciples thought, was he's going to die. But the good news is he he rises again from the grave. And, And Paul says it this way, because he lives again, I shall also live again. Because Jesus was resurrected from the grave, one day you and I will be resurrected from the the grave. And the most important question 
that you and I will ever answer is the question that the disciples had to answer in this text. Who do you say that I am? Do you put your faith and trust in me as the Son of God, the Messiah? If you've never answered that question today and the Spirit of God is drawing you this morning, then right now, right where you sit, you can do that. You can put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And listen, Jesus said this, lest you think you'll wait or lest you think that there are other ways. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. It's through Jesus or it's not at all. It's trust in his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection, or it's eternal separation from him. It's the most important question you will ever answer. And it's not a question that you should delay because the weight of it is the weightiest question in the world. And you and I, our eternal destination depends on it. Look, it's exam time. I mean, Matt told us a while ago, we are so privileged. Oh, my goodness. The light that we have, the light that we have been given to sit under the teaching and preaching of the Word of God week in and week out. Remember what we learned last week? The more you say no to the light, the deeper you go into darkness. And but by the grace of God, you will be permanently blind if you do not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation. If you've never done that, I beg you to do that right now. In fact, everyone is going to bow their head and close their eyes and we're all going to pray. But I want you to listen to me very carefully because the word of God is very clear. We're all sinners. As we learned last week, we're all brought into this world spiritually blind. We all had to come and answer this question. We're all sinners. There's none righteous. No, not one. The wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then Jesus says this in Romans chapter 10, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Salvation. 